Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I've been learning a lot about football these days. Learning a lot about football because my freshman son is on the high school varsity team. And you would think I would know more about football since I uh, was a cheerleader for four years in high school. But it wasn't until my senior year that we're on the football field and I've been saying all the cheers and everything that I've been, you know, I memorized years ago. Then all of a sudden I just like, after one of the cheers, I just said, you know, what the heck is first in 10 anyways? <laughs> like my senior year. Like, So I am having to learn a lot now watching my son play on the football team. And when I say varsity football team, I just, I want to like set the proper expectations because there's only one football team in the high school, but he's on it and he does play a lot as a freshman. Like he's doing really, really well. I couldn't be more proud of him. He's actually really legit. And, um, you know, but he weighs about a buck 20, quite the force to be reckoned with. Honestly, though, he's very fearless, very fearless, and very fast. He's smart, and he has as much muscle as a 120-pound frame can carry. But he's smart, because here's the deal. Like, you know, watching the first couple games, you know, you have all your freshmen, you know, the first time, like, on the field. And, you know, I I think you just don't know how it's going to feel when you fully tackle somebody, and they're, like, twice your size, and what do we do? There was a uh, funny moments here and there where, you know, some of these younger guys, including my son, like, they just, they were nervous to get low and tackle, so they just, like, try to hit people, and they would just, like, be, like, bouncing off everybody. <laughs> you know, and then there was a one time, like literally a player just like picked my son up and just kind of like tossed him out of bounds. And I'm like, oh no. But um, so, so he, the whole term, I think a lot of us have learned is like in football, a terminology is you got to hit him low. And so, so he really has to master this because of his size, because he is going up against seniors and people that are twice his size or more. And so hitting him low, what I love about my son, because even at his weight, even hitting him at the waist doesn't necessarily stop the play. And so I love my son. He hits him like around the knees, but then he doesn't just hit him. He actually holds on. And so he starts at the knees and then he just falls down to their ankles and he does not let go until they fall down. Like he may have been dragged down the field a few times, a few feet or more because he will not let them go until the beast falls. Like he is committed, you know, so, but it's been fun watching and learning. And the one thing I, I don't know if I, I shouldn't say I'll never be able to overcome this, but I get fooled every time they do like a fake handoff. I never can figure out who has the ball. I maybe it's my eyesight, like I might need glasses, I don't know, but it tricks me every time. And so, uh, but again, it's been fun watching and what I'm learning as I'm watching is that it's so important to have a good defense because you don't wanna be slaughtered. You know, like you've gotta have a good defense so you're not just like destroyed in the game. But I'm learning that it doesn't matter how well you play defense necessarily unless you have a really good offensive game. Yeah. 
unless you have both, unless you have an offensive game, you're never going to actually take the win, have the victory in the game. So in order to win, you need to play defense, but you have to have a wicked offensive game. And when I say wicked, I don't mean evil. I mean awesome and epic. Those terms could be confused in church. But no, so the title of my message this morning is The Offensive Game. I know, aren't you guys so impressed? Like, because it's the week before Cherish, I guarantee you thought I was going to come with this like really girly message, but here I am relating to everyone in the room, talking about football. (sighs) So, so as believers, we do need to be the biggest defenders of truth. We have to defend the truth because we know that the truth is what sets people free. And the Bible tells us that in John 8, 32. Yet because there has been such a truth deficit in this nation, so many people are bound and entangled by sin. They're in bondage to wickedness, and that wickedness is bringing so much destruction to their lives. And a lot of these people don't even realize they're in bondage or in wickedness and headed to destruction because they've actually been deceived to believe that the lies were actually going to bring them life. But it doesn't bring them life. It brings them death. Isaiah 59, 14 through 15 says, Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. And while this story was back in the Old Testament, I feel like we're kind of living in this time again today. The interesting thing, though, is because it starts out with our courts oppose the righteous. Yet if there were God-fearing people on the courts or in the justice system, I guarantee you truth would be found in the streets. Amen? Amen. So I could speculate and preach an entire message and honestly probably write a book about why America is in the situation that is in today. But I'm not going to do that. Yet I do feel before I actually get into the message that I want to bring to you today, I have to address one thing that I believe has been the main thing that has brought us to such a place in America that there is a truth deficit. I think this might help if we can understand this this point. So I believe we're in a truth deficit because the church, the global church, church leaders and Christians have believed the lie that we have no place in government and no place to engage in political matters. How many of you have heard the term separation of church and state? Yes, most of us in this place. Did you know the term separation of church and state is not even in the Constitution? It's not even in the Constitution. What the Constitution actually says is Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. But many people have interpreted that to mean the separation of church and state. Because early American, Americans were, were worried that the government would try to, you know, get their business involved in the church. So they made it very clear that the government is to have no business interfering with who we worship, how we worship, when we worship, 
where we worship, all of those things. So they established this clause to make sure government never interfered with the church. But that statement was never meant for the church, God's people, to not be involved in government and politics. Quite the contrary. It has nothing to do with Christians staying out of government affairs. So let's just take a step back just for understanding. So if, if, if this was a true statement that so many people have believed is truth, but we've been deceived, the separation of church and state, the church has no business being involved in political or governmental affairs. So what you're saying, so who's the church? We are. We come into a church building to worship together, but the church, Jesus refers to the church as God's people, you and I. So that's the church. So what that statement is saying is that God's people, so an entire group of people that believe in God, believe the Bible, believe its truths, try to live by the Ten Commandments, have no place to vote, being on a school board, a city council member, having a position, as mayor, governor, a congressperson, a senator, the presidency, the vice. So you can see how silly at the root that actual comment is that most of us have believed as a truth. I guarantee you if we had a godly governor, a bill would not have passed last week to allow minors to have a sex change without a parent's consent. If we had a godly governor last week, he wouldn't have signed a bill that if you had attempted to abort your baby, but the baby is alive, <clears throat> you can either kill the baby or let it die, and there is no consequence for the mother or the practitioner. If we had a godly governor, those two things would not have passed last week. So you're telling me that statement, if we believe that we, God's people, that love God, love his church, love the truth, love people, are passionate about saving souls, who stand up for life, who have an understanding of what brings life and death. 2.2 billion people are supposed to be completely removed in silence to engage in those type of topics? It makes no sense whatsoever. So what you're saying is all the ungodly, wicked, destructive people should only hold places in authority. I think not. And the last time I checked, marriage, family, identity, what children are being taught, the value of every human life, the principles of putting your hand to the plow, because if you don't work, you don't eat, instead of taking people money from people that actually do work and choosing to give it to people who choose not to work. These are all biblical principles. All of that is in the Bible. Yet somehow we're not supposed to talk about these things in church. These are biblical matters that the government has corrupted and politicized. So you better bet we don't even just, we're not even supposed to be engaged. We are not just to engage. We are supposed to dominate in all of these areas to bring God's truth and God's word to our people and this nation so we can flourish. God's people are supposed to hold seats of authority. We are to ensure that we are the salt and the light of the earth, that, that, that we are blessed and we are blessed in our families and blessed in this land. Do you know the Bible says in Psalm 33, 12, that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. Who's going to make a nation? It's God, the Lord. We are. Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority... So if righteous people weren't supposed to hold office, why is this scripture in the Bible? When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And the groans have been growing so incredibly loud. 
So I I, I'm going to declare and I'm going to prophesy that there is a day where righteous people will hold every seat of office and authority in this city and in this nation. And I will declare that the laws that are governing this land declare and, and live by the true nature and the heart of God. I know, I know this is our future. I'm convinced that this is our future. I know that is the future. However, we are currently dealing in an aftermath of having a truth deficit. The global church believers have been silenced for too long, many of us because of that separation of church and state deception. For far too long, Christians and church leaders, they weren't even in the game. They were just sitting on the bench. They weren't even trying to play defense. But there is an awakening happening in this nation where church people, Christian leaders are waking up to realize that we need to get off the bench and we need to get in the game and we cannot play just defense. We have to play some wicked offense if we are gonna win people and win this nation back for Jesus. Amen. We're gonna start dominating in our offensive game. You know, I, I really thank God for a church that is that understands the offensive game. We are a church that speaks out about the things that matter. We are a church that have partnered with ministries like The Remnant who are committed to raising, training, and developing people to win seats in authority. We have, we have dozens of people from all of, our, all of our awakened churches that are running for seats this election. I know we have a church that is amazing and has things like text activate to 55525. So you can be in the know on the laws that are coming down the pipeline. So you know how to pray. You know if there's a meeting that you might have the time to go and defend the truth, to be involved. I thank God that we are a church that's on the offensive. And, and most important, I thank God that we are a church that understands how to pray. We understand how to pray. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if we do not, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So if we don't know how to pray and bind those principalities and powers, how are we ever gonna have victory here on earth? We have to win the battle in the supernatural for it manifests into the natural and in this nation. We know how to pray. Every Tuesday morning, we have corporate prayer. Emerge men get here at 5.30. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah for you. The women get to show up at 7.30 and at 9 o'clock to wage warfare against the enemy, to bind wickedness, to oppose spirits of oppression and control and depression and suicide and confusion and, and that Jezebel spirit that is controlling this nation right now. Prayer keeps us on the offensive. Prayer is the first key to forcefully advancing God's kingdom in the earth. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, the weapons we fight are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they are divine, divine power to demolish strongholds. There are a lot of wicked strongholds operating in the world today and wicked laws that need to be demolished right now. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people, you and I, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It starts with prayer. I wanna ask you a question. 
if all of our prayers were answered, would it change the world or just yours? We must be a people that pray. Amen. Amen. So all of that brings me to the message that I wanted to share with you today. And like I said, I know things are shifting and we are strengthening our offensive game every single day with all the things that we talked about. But because the church as a whole has been on the bench for far too long, there are a lot of wounded players on the field. And it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to clean up the bloody mess on the field. To minister to those who have been ravaged, like ravaged by the world and its deception and its lies. You know, we used to live in a world where um, people tried to keep their sin a secret. But now sin is shouted from the mountaintop, celebrated and paraded. People's wounds, they try to keep hidden deep within their hearts and souls, yet now the wounds are worn outwardly. We can see the pain and the anger and the rage on people's faces. We can hear the words that are coming out of their mouth to reveal the evil intents of their hearts. We can actually physically see the spirits of death and depression and fear evident in people's eyes. They're scarred and mutilated. They have scars and mutilation that has been permanently done to their bodies in the name of gender equality. In all my years, I have never, ever seen anything like what we're seeing today. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How can we help in the offensive game? You know, we may may never run for office or a seat in Congress or anything like that. Not everybody is actually called to hold those seats. However, I think we could all consider ourselves called to support people that are righteous, that are running for those offices, to put weight behind their campaigns. Yet every believer is called to pray, but to also be ministers of the gospel, to preach the good news to seek and save the lost. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this, now all things are of God who has reconciled himself through Jesus to us through Jesus Christ and has given us, meaning you and I, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us, you and I, the word of reconciliation. Now then, you and I are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God has called us to represent him in the earth. And it actually says that he is pleading through us to implore people on behalf of Christ to come to know Jesus. That is some strong, passionate language that God uses to communicate his heart for people and what he wants our heart to be for people, to plead with people, to implore them to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the world is messy right now. 
and it's challenging. And I love the passage of scripture, and you can read it later in John 8, 2 through 4, but I'll paraphrase it for time. There's a passage of scripture that God really shows us how we deal with people that are messy and are broken and are hurting. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is sitting down teaching the scribes and the Pharisees and all the people that have gathered. And and the religious people caught a woman in the act of adultery, actually in the act of committing adultery. They drag her out of bed. So imagine what she's wearing or not. Drags her out of bed and throws her in the midst of Jesus and all the people. And they say, the law says that people that commit adultery should be stoned. And so everyone around is picking up their stones to take her life. Jesus stoops down and he draws in the sand. We don't know what he said. And then he gets up and he says this. He who is without sin cast the first stone. But knowing that not one was sinless, one by one, they dropped their stones, gave Jesus a look, and walked away. And then when the woman was there all alone, vulnerable, exposed, messy, broken, and hurting, Jesus picks her up. Where are you accusers? And she looks, and there's no one left to condemn her. And, she's, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And, Bra- and then says, and go and sin no more. Caught in the act, broken, fully on display, deserving of judgment. Yet God extends love, compassion, grace, and then instruction. Go and sin no more. So in people's most exposing, vulnerable, broken moments, this passage of scripture tells us that our arms are not meant to be used to throw stones, to criticize and judge and condemn people. Our arms are meant to be used to love people, to embrace people and extend grace and help lead them towards a transformed life. That is how the church needs to respond. Because here's the thing, the truth sets people free. It's in the word of God. We all know that. It's the truth that sets you free. The truth is powerful and effective to set people free. However, if the truth is communicated without love, it is ineffective. It is ineffective. Because the Bible says that it's Christ's love that will draw people to repentance. In all my years, I have never had someone want to come to know Jesus as their Savior through harsh, critical, and condemning words. Not a once. It's Christ's love that's going to draw people to repentance. So Pastor Becky, going soft on sin, huh? No. Romans 12, 9 says, hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. It does not say hate who 
is evil. I hate evil. I hate what it does to people. I hate what it does to families. I hate how it ravages people's lives. I hate it and detest it with everything in me. Yet, I can hate the evil, but we love the people. Amen. Amen. So if now many of us knew this, many of us are realizing for for the first time, if we're actually commissioned and commanded by God to pray and to go out and help seek and save the lost, to be ambassadors for Christ, to reconcile people to Jesus, like why is it that it's so difficult to do it? Or why don't we do it? Because we sit with people, walk with people, talk with people, work with people, live with people. They don't know Jesus is their savior. And, and, And we know what the word says, but we stay silent. I want to just throw it out there. What's just one word that you think prevents us from sharing the gospel of people? What, what do you think that could be? Fear. A thousand percent. Fear of man. Fear of rejection. Fear of not having all the answers. Fear of looking foolish. Fear of being hated. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. So when you choose to not give in to fear and you walk in faith, you have a sound mind. The moment you give in to fear, a sound mind goes out the window. What happens when we give in to fear? What if this? What if they? What if, you know, so then we start thinking, so so a sound mind flees. Then we start thinking about all these irrational things that might happen that are so scary. If I actually minister to someone or, or talk about Jesus or ask to pray with somebody, it becomes irrational. And we build these things up in our mind because we're not operating in faith. We're operating in fear that shuts down the power and the love of God. And then, and then we stay silent. So we have to conquer fear around this issue. And there is nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. Think about it like this. You are sending the Evite. You are sending the Evite to a party that God's inviting them to. So when you send an Evite to someone and invite someone to a party on behalf of someone else, you're going to get responses. You're going to get a yes. You're going to get a no, or you might get a maybe. And so we have to understand if it's a no, when we step out and try and it's a no, you have to, they're not rejecting your invitation. They're rejecting his invitation. But you invited them through the Evite because God wants them at the party. So we're not being rejected. They're rejecting God. So we cannot take things so personally or be so worried what people are going to think. What if something like that does happen? What if you feel foolish or or you don't have all the answers or what if they actually get mad at you? So what? Like, really? So what? Like, is it really that scary? Are we so worried about ourselves? Can we not take a little bit of uncomfortability? Can we not handle moments that are a little bit awkward? And so we're thinking more of what their response may be be that might be unpleasant, so it keeps us in fear, and so they stay lost, still going to hell, and are living a life of wickedness and sin and destruction. 
I think if we actually started thinking about what's at stake for them, if we stay silent and stop thinking so much about ourselves and this potential fearful response, then we would actually put things in perspective. And I think an incredible boldness and confidence are going to come upon God's people to go out and love people to Jesus. Amen. So I want to give some examples because I love this stuff. I'm going to give some examples how it really isn't that difficult to to try to um, invite someone to church or to pray for them or to give them an encouraging word. It's so simple. And all these examples I'm going to give to you, I've actually done and they were all successful. It's not that hard. It goes like this. How's your day going? Oh, I'm sorry. That was so rude. I can't believe they said that to you. You know what? You just forget what they said because I think you're awesome and I'm more important than they are. Warm right up to you. Thank you so much. You're doing such a great job. Like, honestly, my water glass has never been empty. You are crushing the game. You've got a great smile. No, seriously. It lights up the room. Where are you from? Oh, excuse me. I couldn't help but notice you look a little sad. Like, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? You know what? You should come to our church because you would love it. You are fun and we are fun. You totally need to come. And then I love this when they say, oh, I used to go to church. Then this is what I say in the exact manner. Used to? What do you mean? Come on. You know someone, your mama wants you in church. Let's go. Give me your number. Come on, come on. For guys, it may look a little different. Oh, you surf? Kind of hit you up sometime? Oh, we play basketball on Tuesday. You play ball. We need a good player. Dude, you into guns? I just got a Glock. Want to go shooting? Me and my buddies are going. Men connect side to side doing things. Women connect more face to face. So it's going to look a little different for everybody in the room with your personality. But I'm telling you, every single one of those approaches has worked and been successful for me to pray for someone, to minister to someone, to get their phone number, to invite them to church. They've all been successful. You know, my kids, they get um, annoyed at me. Um, like this, like two weeks ago, they were like, because I always, you know, I comment on everyone. They're just walking by, oh my gosh, I love your sweater. You know, and I wouldn't say it if I didn't like it because I'm not a liar. If I didn't like your sweater, I'd comment on something else. So comments from me are always genuine. But I'm always just like randomly like throwing out stuff to people when we're around and just always talking. And my boys are like, oh my gosh, mom. Like, why do you have to talk to everyone? Like, you're always commenting about everything. Like, can you just not walk past someone and not say something? They told me this two weeks ago. I said, actually, no. And I'll tell you why. And this is what I told them. Because remember that girl on vacation? And I walked by and I just said, hey, you have a cute suit. I love that. Where'd you get that suit? Made her feel good about herself. I like her suit. Guess who floats over to me in the ocean? The girl in the cute suit. And then we start talking. 
And then she proceeds to tell me that she had bought tickets on this vacation and surprised her husband to come with her on this trip. But instead of him coming with her on this trip, he actually said, I want a divorce. So she brought her girlfriend laying over in the sun on vacation. So she's crying. I'm encouraging her, telling her what the word of God says about her life, you know, praying for her and, and all of these things. It was a beautiful ministry moment because I commented earlier in the day that she had a cute suit. I said, so that's why I comment and, and talk to everybody. Remember that guy at the bar when I walked up and I actually was going to order a margarita? Yeah, I was going to have a, a, a margarita. Let him know. Oh, I have a ring on. John always wants me to clarify. Okay, first of all, I never give off that vibe. I don't even know how to give off that vibe of like flirting. I'm just, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, so I go to the bar while I'm waiting for my margarita. I look to the guy and I said, Hey, looks like you should be having more fun than you are. Cause he looked all sad. I'm like, we're in this epic place. You should be having more fun. What's up? And so then we just start talking while we're waiting. Tells me his mom just passed away from COVID. He's just having a hard time processing. Was able to pray, minister to him, extend an invitation to a church. That's why I talk to people and make comments. The gal at the, at the, at the restaurant with the Valdez's having dinner the other Sunday night, really dark, goth looking. I thought she might be a challenge. So I had to like gear myself up internally to be courageous, but just start being kind. You're doing such a great job. You're amazing. Oh, thanks for that. Oh, you know, just warming up, asking her questions about where she lives. We're new to the Cardiff area. Like what's your favorite thing? You know, just, just chatting, chatting, warming up. She starts smiling, we're smiling, dialoguing. And then when she tries to just like slip the check on the table and scoot off, because we had developed such rapport, I literally, this is what I did. I go, no. And I grabbed her hand. The Valdezes can testify. I grabbed her hand. I'm like, no, come back. I said, oh, I haven't had a chance to invite you to our church yet. She goes, oh, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, we're Christians. We're all, you know, they're our worship pastors. And, you know, we're here. And she was like, well, me and my family don't usually get along with Christians. And I'm like, we're getting along. And she says, she goes, well, like I come from a long line of witches and I'm a witch. And I just said, let's have coffee. When do you want to come to church? Give me your number. She gave me your number. We've talked. We've texted. Journey's still going. But it's just, it's, you just start with the process and reaching out to people. And I'm telling you, I, I have not had one situation go badly because when I start, when I know, I, I, I literally go out knowing I'm gonna invite people to church that day or try to pray for, like I expect it. And so I approach every conversation or every, every interaction, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna establish some rapport. Whether it's a comment as I walk by and then I know I'm gonna circle back around. Like I literally am like thinking about how can I have an in? And a lot of, it's most of the times, 99% of the times it's through a compliment or caring about the world, or asking a question about them, or being kind. Do you, do you realize how people will melt into your hands when you're kind? Because there are very few kind people in the world right now. Kindness literally opens up the door for any conversation. I have never had someone yell in my face or cuss at me 
when I invited them to church or to pray because they already knew I cared about them before I invited them. And caring can literally be one comment of care. And they're just so open to receiving anything that you have to say. So that's why I told my boys. And that is why I do this every day, all day, and I'm never going to stop. And I said, you know what? There are a lot of less people in the world, boys. (laughs) And I said, people need Jesus. So you should stop thinking so much about yourselves and how embarrassing I am and start talking to people. But I'll be honest, like I, 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 I do get grumpy and rushed. And so there have been times where it grieves me because then I get to the point where there's something happening where I could actually extend an invitation to church and I've actually held back. So I was like, I did not represent Christ well. And it makes me sad every time. Uh, there's been times I've been rude to someone or snappy and then something else happens where there's an open door and I literally have gone Two strangers said, hey, I, I have to apologize. I'm, it's not an excuse. I'm just having a really rough day. And what I said to you or how I treated you was, was not appropriate. Like, we accept my apology. And then that led to a conversation where I was able to invite them to church. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I pray we all begin to find our voice as an ambassador for Christ and get on the offensive game, winning one soul at a time. You know, and another thing I've been realizing recently is, and I've been praying for is that we wouldn't, and myself included, put people in the too hard basket. I'll be honest, the gal, I didn't know she was a witch when I started, you know, chatting her up. But, but that, that was hard. Like, I didn't know how it was going to go because she presented herself like very dark. So there's a lot of people that are in the hard basket right now. But all the more, like all the more, we should try to reach out and share the love of Christ with them. You know, not too long ago, we had an amazing man um, visit our church with a group of people. He is, um, he's lived decades in the gay lifestyle, and he's somewhat famous out there in the world. So I guess you could say he's like famously gay, doing amazing things, doing amazing things. He's setting people free in other areas and dominating in political spheres and bringing truth into that realm doing great, great things. And so after he visited church, um, Pastor John and I and a few other people um, invited them all out to dinner. And so obviously my heart, you could tell he was going through a really rough time. He'd actually vocalized he was going through a rough time. So you could just see it, like the pain in his eyes. And so here's the deal. When we went to dinner, I was praying on the way that we'd have an opportunity to like minister the gospel to him. But I did not plan to unravel the enormous web that he's been entangled in for the last few decades. I had no intention of fixing all his problems or speaking into all the things. I just wanted an opportunity to show him how much Christ's followers love people. 
And so we were just encouraging him and loving on him and just having amazing conversation. And there was a point in the conversation where it began to not be about the whole table. And I was just able to turn to him and we just started talking. And I just literally started with like, I'm so proud of you. Like, I, and I know God's so proud of you. Like what you're doing, it's amazing. And then it just opened up this conversation. He started to get teary-eyed and we just started talking about God. And literally, usually it's, it's a real quick conversation. And very rarely in my entire life have I sat with someone and literally shared the whole gospel message, like in the Bible, like sin entered the world. And then God had a rescue plan, sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins that we could be saved and that we can go to heaven and not spend eternity in hell. Like the whole, I literally, he was just asking questions and I, I just shared the whole gospel with him. And I got to a place, I was like, are you, you want to pray? Like, do you want to pray to receive Jesus? And he said, ah, oh, not right now. I'm like, okay. So he didn't receive an invitation to pray, the prayer of salvation, but he received another invitation to come back to church. And that next Sunday, he came in on his own now, not with his group of friends. And he sat through the whole service. And when we connected with him um, after the service backstage, he just had a red puffy face. And he just said, I cried the whole time. Here, I don't know what's wrong with me. He goes, I just, I love this place. I love how I feel when I'm here. I love those songs. I love people are so nice. And he just, he just was like overwhelmed by the love of God. Again, didn't pray the prayer of salvation, but we were able to, to pray with him. And we've stayed in touch. Here's the thing, it's not always the quick, like, oh, you need Jesus, let's pray. Come to church, get in a connect group, your whole life changes for him, yay, you, yeah. Like, it's not always like that. Like, sometimes it's the long game. Like, are we willing to do the long game with people to ensure that we can spare them from a life of eternity and hell, not just the eternal perspective, but their life and their quality of life here on earth to be healed, set free, transformed? Are we committed to the long game with people? Because I know God is. God's so committed to all of us and to every single person. It's, the Bible says that God does not want one person to perish. And He wants us to have that heart as ambassadors for Him, for people. So I pray we would all have a heart to seek and to save the lost. That's how we go on the offensive. It's just one simple thing we can all do. We may not be able to go into all the world like the disciples did, but we can go into ours. And, and I know it's scary because you don't feel like you know enough about the scripture and you don't under, understand all the moral things and what to say and what to do. But here's the deal. The original 12 disciples, we are all disciples, but the original 12 didn't know everything either. They didn't even have the Bible. So if they waited till they knew everything and had the answer to every problem or moral issue facing this planet, the gospel would have never gone out. The gospel would not have been preached. We would not be sitting here today if they waited until they felt confident in what they knew. All they knew was this Jesus guy changed their lives and they know people needed him. So they went out just knowing people needed Jesus and then they learned along the way. 
And that is the beauty about the body of Christ. We may be able to get somebody to church, but to unravel and entangle them from the web of deceit and lies that the truth has got, or the, that the world has got them in. Well, that's why we have a whole family. There's someone here that knows how to unravel generations of witchcraft in that family. And there's someone over here that can speak to someone that's in an addiction. There's someone over here that can speak to someone who just lost their spouse to COVID. There is someone here that we are a body of Christ and this is what we do. You're not in it alone. You're not responsible to save everybody. But God does place responsibility for you to reach the ones in your world in hopes that they would be saved. Amen. Amen, Pastor Becky. So that is why I'm, I, I, I believe there's an invitation card on every single person's seat. So if you can just reach down and grab that invitation card, or maybe it's behind you. I want to encourage you, each and every one of you, that this week you pray intentionally and have a mission to give that card to somebody else and invite them to church. And when you're actually praying that you'd have an opportunity, I guarantee you, you're going to see opportunities all over the place. They are everywhere. You may end up finding that you need a dozen of those cards a week because there's opportunities everywhere to love people to wholeness. So I want to encourage you with that to take that with you, but don't come back with it next Sunday. And I want to end with this last little story. Years ago, we had a real elderly gentleman that would come into church. His caretaker basically forced him to come to church because she was taking care of him, and if she was going to church, he was going to go too. So she'd bring Johnny to church every week. And Johnny and I had had a few conversations with his cowboy hat and his wranglers. And he's like, he'd always come forward and talk to me, but he, he always said he wasn't ready. Not ready to receive Jesus yet. I've got a lot of questions. And about the fourth time that we had this conversation, I said, hey, Johnny, I'm not gonna pressure you necessarily, but I just want you to know that you don't have to have all the questions answered before you realize that you need Jesus. And I said, and I, I, I'm just gonna address the elephant in the room. I, I don't really know how much time you've got left. Like no one's promised tomorrow, Johnny, especially you. And he was fine because we had developed a rapport. We were laughing. It was fine. I didn't offend the man. I said, so here's, here's the deal. I'm giving you one more week. I said, you have one week. Figure it out. And so I said, next week when you come, if you can't find me, you find this gentleman, this usher right here. Yes, usher. He's going to find you if he can't find me, and you're going to pray the prayer of salvation with him. He said, absolutely. I just so happened to be preaching at our North Campus that following Sunday. And on my way home, I got a call from the usher that said Johnny prayed the prayer of salvation with him that day. And then the story gets better because then the next week, he brought his friend Wild Bill 
He said, he goes, Becky, Wild Bill needs Jesus too. And we were able to pray the prayer with Wild Bill and he received Jesus as his savior. Johnny didn't know anything about Christianity and all the scriptures. All he knew is he knew he needed Jesus and he knew Wild Bill needed him too. So today, I want to end with this. You may not understand everything, but do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord, I know you have brought people into this place today that need you. They have questions. They feel weighed down by the burdens of this world. God, you brought people in today that need you. So if you are one of those ones that are in this place and you know you need Jesus, that's where it all starts. Well, no one else is looking around. I would love if you would just lift your hand so I can see it, so I can include you in a prayer of salvation. Yes, I see you up the back in red and I see you, sir, in the light blue and white shirt. Yes, I see you. Thank you, Lord. Yes, and I see you in the mustard yellow. Gorgeous. Yes. Thank you, God. Who else am I waiting on? Yes, over here. Yes, I see you. Proud of you. Awesome. And this in the hat with the epic tats, I see you. And I up there in the blue jacket, I see you, sir. Praise God. Ma'am, yes, I see you all the way in the back. And right here, kind of in front of me in the white t-shirt, I see you. Oh, I see you. Got you. Yes. I'm going to include you in my prayer. Who else are we waiting on? Yes, I see you, sir. Nice watch. Who else? Going to give it like 20 more seconds. Amen. Yes. Up there in the back on the aisle. Gosh, this is amazing. Thank you, God. Yeah, I got them. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you all the way in the corner. Yep, I got you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just everyone, if you can just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I want to pray a prayer with you. I need you to understand something, those of you who lifted your hand or are still contemplating lifting your hand. When we pray this prayer together, you are 100% saved. You 100% have Jesus in your life. You're 100% forgiven. You get a fresh start. You become a, a part of the family of God. And everything's about to change. So you are signed, sealed, and delivered. Yet what I've realized in years of being in ministry is that sometimes these moments can just stay moments 
that we experienced in past tense. And we don't let these powerful moments, these transformational moments actually bring true change to bring into a community that loves you, to help you on your journey. So sometimes if we just stay in our seat, we can risk staying where we are. And so I'm gonna ask in a minute, those of you who lifted your hand, I just wanna tell you what I'm gonna do. We're all gonna stand up. And then I really feel today is a day that we don't stay in our seats and pray the prayer. If you lifted your hand, I wanna invite you actually to just come down to the front here. And we're gonna pray a prayer together all at the same time. But you don't have to come down to the front to be saved and receive Jesus. You can pray the prayer in your seat. But if you are worried that you could potentially stay where you are and let this moment pass, I wanna invite you to come down to seal it so we can give you a Bible and a book. And if there's anything you need prayer for, we wanna do that as well. So I'm gonna ask everybody to stand right now. And if you lifted your hand, I'd love to invite you down. And everyone else that didn't lift their hand is gonna be using their hands to cheer you and clap you as you come down to make the most important decision of your life. It truly is the most important decision of your life. So there's a lot of you up the back and all the way on the sides, but I'd love to invite you to come down. And to the whole church, many of us have done this before. This is not something new, but we want to meet with you. We want to say hello and congratulate you. So I'm just going to keep waiting. Again, you can stay in your seat, but I would love to invite you down to the front. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I see the little man coming. I thought that was him. Amen. Amen, amen. So many of you lifted your hands. Won't you join us? Praise God. Yes. Amen. Yes, Spider-Man. Amen, amen. All right, all right. There were so many of you, and that's okay that you're still there. This is the most powerful moment. We're going to pray a prayer together, everybody in the building, especially those of you who lifted your hand. So just repeat after me, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you that I am forgiven. I receive your gift of salvation. Lord, help me follow you all the days of my life that you would restore the things that are broken, that you would heal the things that are sick, that you would give me the courage and the strength to be an ambassador for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. 
Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.